All right. Well, I am super excited to be here with uh, Type Nines, and we're going to be exploring this idea of patterns, the patterns of the types. And um, and actually, it's one of the nines here who suggested this idea, and I thought it was brilliant. And so we thought, man, we got to do this. Uh, so what I like to do is begin by having each of you introduce yourselves, you know, just your first name, and let us know maybe where you're from. And then we'll get started. I'm Luke, and I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I live in Texas. I'm from Texas, just outside of Dallas. I'm Keith. I'm in the Phoenix area. Uh, I'm Nate, and I'm from uh, Longmont, Colorado. Okay. So the big question that we're going to start with, which is rather interesting because it seems somewhat obvious when we're talking about these types, is the core motivation. Right. It's obvious to ourselves once we become aware of the core motivation. But I figured rather than me state it as we typically do, and that would come through the voice of a seven, it would come through the language of a seven, is to have each of you sort of describe briefly what is the core motivation of the nine. Now, how would you? I mean, maybe how would you say it as opposed to maybe even how it's written? I think one of the phrases that has resonated for me the most is the desire to be unaffected by life to sort of feel an internal sense of calm, easiness, comforts, just sort of a very flat, coming back to a homeostasis, sort of. Yeah. The, the word I always really resonate with is peace, the idea of, of peace. And I think, I think that also, you know, for me, that's stability. It's peace. It's people getting along sort of at their core. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it's going to be peace, but it's going to be peace. Absolutely, by avoiding all conflict. <laughs> <laughs> I find that in addition to that, also just this this constant chase after groundedness. I, I feel like as a nine, I always sort of feel sort of spectral, like I don't quite inhabit my reality. And so it's that peace, but it's also that that constant search for those things that that make me feel like I inhabit my life. Mm. It's fascinating. I'm so enjoying the fact that each of you described it somewhat uh, differently, and yet there's this similarity uh, between them all. I love that. And I've heard different nines say it in different ways that each of you have said it. So, yeah, really interesting. With that comes the next thing, which we've oftentimes talked about, but really not elucidated enough, I think, on our podcast, which is like, you have the core motivation, and then what does your type do early on in life? Well, it figures a way to try to get that need met, right? So the sort of like, I don't have a sense of peace, or I don't have a sense of grounding, or I don't have a sense of inhabiting my body, or I don't have a sense of, you know, whatever it is. These things are these sort of existential holes, pains, angst that we feel, and then we do something about it. So what is it? What are we doing? What's the strategy or what's the pattern that you've developed or you could see developed maybe on its own early on in life. So if you could describe maybe just in general, like what is the pattern? What's the strategy of your type? I have to share this story because I haven't thought about it in forever, but I was a really little kid, probably was three or four years old, maybe five, maybe. And at the dinner table and we had assigned seating and my father was pontificating. 
And basically, I employed our best defense mechanism, and I would absolutely disassociate from the table and fall off my chair. And I did it on the regular. It was like, this space is not fun for me. I'm not in this place. And I literally, and I can remember how angry he got very angry. And then I can kind of remember that I had to like, okay, I've got to figure out how to stay here Hmm. without falling off my chair. Oh, wow. Yeah. It wasn't dramatic. I mean, I can laugh about it now. Obviously a lot of tension at that table, people. Um, And yeah, I, I, and, but that is like the, as I've thought about this, Joel, that was like, that memory came back and I thought, oh, oh, well, there's your pattern. Yeah. I think my other thing that I thought about, I, I played the piano as a child. My mother never had to tell me to practice. And I think for me, that sitting at the keyboard and practicing and I, everybody would leave me alone. And they loved it. And so everybody was happy and I could go away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Into the music. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you, Anne. I even now, even I still have my piano bench. I, you know, if I sit at a piano, there's something deeply, I'm just, I'm present there. I'm, I'm all there in my skin by myself. And it's a good, and it's a good place to be. <laughs> Well, so that's interesting because this is why the pattern isn't necessarily good or bad, right? It's there, it's, it's a pattern. And in some sense, it does something really wonderful, which allows you to be fully present to something you love, but at the same time can also be a place of escape when there's so much crazy going on in the house, right? Right. Yeah. I, I remember around, you know, that same age range, that, that kind of three, four, five age range. I remember for me, my my world was uncomfortable uh, when I heard my parents argue, and it, and it's not that they argued a lot or anything like that, but that disrupted my world when it did happen. So my my response was to withdraw. So for me, that was just like being alone, alone in my room, alone with my thoughts, and that became my safe space. Was just being being withdrawn, being alone, finding a space where I could just sit and think and be in my own place, didn't have to be disturbed by that, uh, that conflict. And then that led to me developing that pattern of avoiding conflict at all costs, because I didn't want to ever experience that disruption. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted that stability, that peace. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have the exact same story, Keith, of, <laughs> and it was my old, my oldest sister would argue with my parents quite a bit. She's a, she's a sexual six, a bit rebellious. And, um, I would be in my room and I would like, I would listen for a minute, but then it would be like uncomfortable. So I'd, I would play or something and try not to listen. Like I thought that I wasn't supposed to listen. I wasn't supposed to know what was going on anyways. So I would just play and, and try to shut it out. I remember so much conflict between my older sister and my parents also. <laughs> I have no idea what her type was, but I, but I remember they, they butted heads, her and my dad, especially all the time. And yeah, that. yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of nines out there going, Oh yeah, I have a sister. I have a brother. I have, a, there's always, there's always something going on there. I'm curious um, what you're picking up on this. What is it doing to you at an internal level when there is that conflict going on around you? 
it really feels like a phasing out, almost kind of going back to what Nate said about kind of groundedness versus being more spectral. It's kind of like I just, or or like Anne was saying about dissociating of just going into my head, going into like a fantasy world. I would play with toys on my floor and like they had their own little world. And that was like yeah, yeah. one of the Same. ways that I would go somewhere else. I think for me, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I had a I had a relatively chaotic upbringing, and so it just felt like survival. It it felt like this is what I have to do to make it through this day. It's kind of ironic because that brings a level of discomfort and and turbulence in itself, and so it always felt like kind of balancing on a knife's edge of like you know desperately clinging to fantasy and and for me it was reading mm. um novels and and desperately clinging to that and then also like by escapism i was also causing a different kind of pain and so like managing different mm. levels of discomfort oh wow you know, yeah. peace at any cost sort of sort of thinking so playing with those dynamics is is a weird thing because it mm. There's a lot of times in your life where no option actually provides the peace that you're looking for. Mm. Wow. That is something. That's interesting because I think that's true for all nine types is that whatever the management tool, whatever the tools we've learned to survive, they do have that, that kind of dual role. I mean, in some sense, it's like, well, protects you, but it also keeps you from stuff that you really need. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say that it, because you had to pull away? It create you said it created other problems. Was it that sort of like I don't have connection, I don't have relationship, I don't I feel isolated? Is that what you're referring to? Or? Oh yeah, like total, like complete isolation, um, stifling, oppressive isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing is, I, I think as nines we 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 crave that that groundedness and if you're if you're completely in that place of of avoidance then it feels so far away so yeah and i wonder if other types know that about nines is that they do crave connection and relationship even if it's appearing like they are pulling back sometimes on themselves i wonder if that's also something sometimes it comes through and it's like oh you know i didn't know that that's the impression i was giving it's a bit different, but I guess I'm thinking of, you know, the fear of the nine is sometimes said to be loss of connection. So for me, I can be avoidant, thinking that I'm avoiding disconnection when I'm really avoiding connection. Like if I'm pulling away, it's because I don't want the conflict, but really that's not helping the connection either. That's it's the self-fulfilling prophecy of mm. by avoiding, I'm actually creating the disconnection that I'm trying to mm. avoid. Yeah. I, I've discovered over the last few years as as I've learned to embrace more the necessity of of healthy conflict in relationships and in, you know, it, be it family, friends, work, that for me, my motivation behind the conflict is to get back to the peace side of things is it's like, okay, we have to do this. This is just, you know, I, I kind of settle myself with going to have to engage, you know, I'm probably going to have to take a stand, I'm going to have to get a little back and forth, but like, can we just get it done so that we can get to the other side of this where we're back on all together and, and happy and and peaceful again. (laughs) 
anxiety is a huge part for me. It's a huge part of my pattern. And I may not, I, I don't fall off my chair anymore, but I can get really very anxious with the sense that there's something that I need to do to fix this. And then that anxiety becomes enormous because much of what I feel, there isn't anything I can do. <laughs> I, a lot of times, you know, like, and especially within a family situation. And as a kid, as I, as I went from falling off the chair, then, then, well, how do you sit here? Well, you sit here and you feel really anxious. And that anxiety grew and grew and grew. And that became a physical illness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it was just there and there wasn't much I could do about that, mm. um, except endure it. Except now it is helpful. It is just helpful to be able to say to myself, I am anxious. This is why I am anxious. This is what has happened. This is, this is the way you wish it was. This is the way it really is. And anxiety is, is part of your saying that to yourself. This yeah. feels really anxious. Yeah. The way you describe it, and I, I love that, Anne, because I think you're, you're saying things that are in a way you're bringing the past into the present as if it's still very present. I think for all of us, that's true. Those early experiences, those early formational experiences, they still function very much as if it was, as if it just happened. We may fall off our chairs. We may, you know, do something that is a way of kind of pulling back and pulling out of the situation. And it isn't until Probably later in life, you know, when we start becoming aware of later in life, meaning like you're an adult now, you know, so 20s, 30s, you start to go, some of this stuff isn't always working. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work quite as well as it, as I thought it would, or the surprise, it's usually a surprise. It's like, wow, because for a lot of nines, it's like, I'm here, I'm very present to you, to people, and I'm trying to not create conflict and not cr create problems, but somehow they're still happening. Somehow there is a conflict I, and somehow it's me. Somehow I've caused it. And, and so maybe talk about like when that began to happen for you, when you tuned into that, that maybe there's a moment, maybe a series of moments uh, where you became aware that your pattern, again, it's neither good nor bad, but there are some parts of it that it's it doesn't quite work um, anymore. I think the pattern that I saw most clearly in childhood was being very obedient and being very compliant. I did grow up in a very safe household and was very, did whatever my parents asked, whatever any authority figures asked. It didn't win me a ton of friends, but everyone, the people who I cared their, their opinion about me respected me and liked me. But as an adult, being obedient doesn't really matter anymore. Like I'm my own authority, but I was still sort of looking for favor from other people or trying to ingratiate myself, but I didn't really know what I really wanted. I didn't have a strong sense of my own self, not having somebody to kind of guide me or have expectations placed upon me to do what they wanted. So I'd say, a mo I guess there was multiple moments throughout my life where I sort of realized that. But I know that when I graduated high school, I wanted to move like seven hours away to go to a school away from my parents rather than going to one close, because I just had this sense of if I live close to them, I'm still going to be like, I didn't have the language then, but like merged with what they mm. want. Yeah. And if I move physically away where I don't have to, to be near them as much, maybe I can sort of find out what I like or who I am or what I want to be. Was that a conscious thought? 
Or can you reflect I, back and see like, no, definitely. I would not have had the language to say it like that, yeah, but yeah. I think I knew I depended on them or was yeah. too tuned into what they wanted and I needed to, yeah, separate a little bit. I think for me, my, my marriage really was the thing that made it show for me. My wife and I got married very young and as we started getting into those deeper conflicts and, and, you know, that happen as in an early marriage, I, I started realizing that like this person emotionally is like on a whole different level for me. Like there's this huge disparity between like my ability to like even know what it is that I'm feeling, let alone express it. And, and, you know, she's over here just eloquently, like, I'm angry and this is why. And, and I'm like, I can't do that. Like, what, what, how are you doing that? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was a series of those fights that, that led me to these aha moments. And thankfully she's had the grace to lead me through it, but yeah, just recognizing, oh, like this will not stand at this level of relationship. Emotional avoidance will not it's not acceptable at this point because that's not going to fly in, in my marriage. Like my, my wife is not going to stand for that, at least not forever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, my tendency to um, sort of suppress feeling or ignore feeling or, you know, certainly not name it. And my wife is so good at drawing that out of me, helping me name it, you know, and even like kind of proverbially poking me a little bit to get a response out of me. Like, you know, you're feeling something, right? You're feeling something. And, uh, and it's just been, it's been such a gift to me because one, I know that's a safe space to feel. And I mean, I'll still avoid it, but like, but I know it's a safe space to, to express what I'm feeling. You know, I remember from a really young age and I, and I think the motivation, you know, now that I can put to words was that longing for deep connection from an early age, like I, I wanted to be married. I wanted, I wanted to be a dad. I, I really wanted these things in my life, you know? So we were also married very young and, you know, coming from different backgrounds, different conflict styles that we'd been sort of raised in and then having friction over that. And, you know, me being like, no, we got to solve this right now. Cause we've got to get back to the peace side of things. And her being more like, I need to take a step back, like, you know, so that we can resolve this well. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's amusing hearing other people say things that feel like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would I would agree that the marriage and then the children that followed really put me in a place where I began to really observe my own illness and realize that it wasn't anybody else's fault, that it was something that I really needed to do something. And the anxiety has been or was a big part of depression and coming through depression was for me, one of the most healing things was being able to say, I am feeling angry. Mm. And to say, I am angry without judging myself wrong. Because there was a whole, you know, there were just, there was just a whole collection of feelings that were not allowed. Uh, I, I don't think it was just because I was the girl in the family. I think it wasn't allowed for anybody. Mm. Um, and so that 
I needed to be well. I wanted to be well. I wanted to, I wanted to have a happy marriage. I have a happy marriage and a long-term marriage. I wanted to have good, solid kids. I wanted to do what I could do to help not pass on what was, what was sick <laughs> in me. Yeah. So this is good to bridge off of because I think that the picture that some people get about themselves is that there's something wrong about me being a type nine or there's something wrong about me being a type one or a type nine or, or a type eight. And so then we might overcorrect like in, in terms of because of the relationships. So there's like this outcome based thinking that kicks in and it's, well, if I change and I do this, then it'll make the relationship better. And I think that that is OK as a starting point. But then it has to get back to like, but the deeper part is the awareness of where it is that I fundamentally need to change, not because there's something wrong with me and not because it's going to make the marriage or the relationship or the friendship or the work better, but because it, it there's a particular core motivation maybe that has this lower side to it, right? It has a high side. It's a beautiful side to it, but it also has a low side to it, right? The need for for peace, the avoidance of conflict or the, uh, you know, the, the desire for connection and the fear of disconnection. So there's a low side to that and there's a high side to it. So maybe you, you can talk about like, are you able to, you know, were you able to see that as you began doing the, the inner work where it's like, it's beneficial actually for you, (laughs) like, because otherwise you will be lonely or isolated or feel unseen. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think the inner work starts just with the, with the knowledge, right? That, you know, being able to name something and, and just being able to name your type, just being able to, you know, I'm, I'm a nine, I'm a, I'm a peacemaker. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, whatever that gives a certain amount of comfort of like, okay, so that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Because self-knowledge doesn't say I am who I am. And that's just the way it is. That's an invitation to improvement, to self-improvement. So being able to recognize, okay, here's the patterns that I've developed. Here's the parts where it's causing harm to me, to others, you know, what effort now going against (laughs) my nature, putting effort (laughs) into something, what effort do I need to put in here to improve this relationship or this situation? You know, and still, you know, as long as, okay, at the end of the day, do I still get a chance to rest, to relax, to have comfort? <laughs> and I and I remember even as a kid, like anytime something was hard, you know, a hard day at school or uh, a hard situation, like I would think, okay, this day is going to be over at some point and I'm going to be at home <laughs> in my bed and that's going to be comfortable. And like, as long as I can just make it through just watch the clock click by as long as i can make it through i'll be comfortable again soon (laughs) that's great i think there's a prerequisite even to the naming or maybe just this was my ordering of of how i grew but i think ann lee already touched on it which was taking responsibility i feel like it's so easy for the nine even i don't know about the other numbers but for the nine it seems so easy to fall into this victim mentality of this is who I am. This is what I am. It's easy to feel oppressed by the conflicts of life. And so step one for me was like, I'm responsible for 
for this, for my avoidance. And I could like the naming came after for me where it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, now I know what this is called. Now I know what this is and I can get a handle on it. But step one was I, I need to take control of, of this. And I, and I think it's so easy to rationalize why your feelings and, and the turbulent things that are part of you are, are evil uh, and bad. And <laughs> I, I think that, that in that freedom of, of taking ownership over that is, is the only way to actually get to that actual true peace. And so to me, I love it going on that journey. Like Mm. it's never felt like a reward. It's felt like a necessity. Like I can't not do it. I I have to go on this journey or I will suffer greater. And so, wow. I don't know about y'all. I'd like to hear what y'all have to say. I think, I I think that that idea of like, I have to go on that necessity that I have to go on this journey or else I will suffer more. I, yeah, that's, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone has to go through that because, you know, once you realize either you're already suffering pretty badly or you kind of, if you're reading the Enneagram, you see, you know, kind of what you could become if you don't change, you know, I don't want to be 20 years down the road and like despondence, emotionally unavailable, not have bettered myself in any way, not have pursued what I really wanted. Like I'd rather work through this now and like start my life earlier. Mm. For me, I guess one thing that resonated when I started using the Enneagram and, and found out that I was a nine, I was so tuned in to the expectations of other people. Even though I did move away, I was still like acting like a kid in some ways. Any adult or anyone who I perceived to be sort of an authority figure I would just want to make sure that I didn't offend them in any way, that I was seen as good. I was a pastor's kid growing up. So it was like, it was almost like the church was watching me at all times or someone was expecting me to just be really, really good, really easy, didn't cause any problems. And that just did not foster any sort of authentic community, any vulnerable relationships. It was just, as long as I don't offend them, as long as, you know, it wasn't even that I would get try to get people to like me. It was as long as they don't dislike me, as long as I'm at least neutral. <laughs> You're dying over here. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm like also a pastor's kid here. Like, and I just got to ask, like, is this a nine thing that I'm just now learning that we have this thing about, I, I don't want to disappoint anybody. I, anybody. I want them to like me. Yeah. Just <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> when I first found the Enneagram, I couldn't decide if I was a three or a nine because I Mm. resonated so much with people seeing me. There was a high expectation for me growing up. And so I thought that I was trying to like achieve success, but it's more just like, if I disappoint anybody, that's going to cause disconnection. They're going to, there's going to be negative feelings. Other people wouldn't define that as conflict, but I think for a lot of nines, that feels like conflict. If so, any sort of negative feelings towards me. Totally. Yeah. I, I resonate with that as well. And that's, that's our chameleon nature, right? So like, it's easy for us. I think it it comes naturally to flow between these different relationships and be whatever is needed in any context in order to, to prevent that turbulence. I think for me, like growing up in a more stressful environment, it it came out as like a a hypervigilance even, and like anticipating my, my mental space was just constantly occupied by like 
the anticipation of, of other people's needs and, and disappointments mm-hmm. and, and, you know, going out of my way and trying to predict <laughs> what would happen before it would happen to try and, you know, curb some of those disappointments. <laughs> yeah. I, I so loved uh, so much of this, so much richness here um, that it's hard for me to like pick and choose which one I want to reflect on. But one of the things is, I think in terms of the sequencing that you were laying out, Nate, it's like, I think the key thing for a lot of nines is because of the merging and the sort of losing yourself in that space of trying to keep people from disliking you, particularly people that you respect, is that there can be a lack of engagement in your own priorities right and so when you're talking about responsibility taking responsibility i think that's that makes a lot of sense from that that standpoint and then there was something that that you picked up on luke which is like you know a lot of us we will suffer more if we don't do the work and that's true for all nine types regardless of who you are and i it's uh, i can't i had to come to that point myself but i think what's unique is the way you're describing the the need for responsibility, the need to actually picture how if you don't move forward as a nine and take priority, take your take your right action, you know, is the virtue of the nine is if you don't do that, there will be greater suffering. Right. So I remember do when we did the Driven to Drawn podcast, where nines were saying, well, the thing is that the the part about being drawn is actually terrifying because it requires change and it requires some things that I'm not sure I want to engage in. And so there's, there can be sort of like, again, a laying back and a pulling back on the self that then prevents a sort of, you know, inspiring message of growth and development and of, of reaching, you know, your own dreams uh, from actually materializing in the life of a nine. But for all of us nine types, it's absolutely true that if we don't do our work and take responsibility and do our work, we end up suffering a whole lot more. I think for me, and it, it goes back to my dad, and I can remember I was married. I don't know how many kids I had, but it it kind of, all of a sudden it occurred to me that I could do everything the man wanted me to do, and he was still going to be miserable. And I was going to be miserable. So it was a lose-lose. Mm. And there was something about the clarity of that. That allowed me to really begin the process. And, and, and really that story has a happy ending, but there were some key points as I was thinking about this too. I really confronted him and established my home. He was in my home (laughs) and I had done enough work to say, now, wait a minute, that right there, that's not going to happen in this space. So And and when I did that, it was really, I, I don't know, was I was taking my life in my hands. I truly. I I I I can feel it right now. I have never been so frightened in my whole life. And he backed up and was a perfect and he was great. And mm. I thought, geez, why hadn't I been doing that? But it <laughs> it was for me the clarity of knowing. If even if I followed, if I did everything, it wasn't going to be enough. And I needed to at least I felt if I took it on, at least I could be right. At least I could be authentic to myself. Yeah. You know, at least I would know (laughs) that I was okay. you know, and that was a huge that was huge, huge for me. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Truly. I think. The nine will continually have this 
issue with boundaries. I don't know. For me, that's that's always been the thing is like we're surrounded by these emotional dominators in our life. And I think as children, we don't realize, oh, the other people deal with this differently rather than just caving to this person who's big and 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 powerful. And my dad was an eight. Uh, and so like, you know, it's I suspect all about mine was as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's a tough relationship. Uh, and it's, you know, there's bullies everywhere. But having the courage to have those boundaries is really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think it's it's, again, the irony of being a nine, which is the only way to have peace is to go through that conflict. And so. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> named a key feature of like, you know, that whole thing of the sort of like merging that nines will do and, um, you know, the lack of boundaries in that, that result from the sort of just automatic merging another pattern, you know, and I, I, we talk when I coach a nine, I you know, point out those features. It's like, they're neutral. There's absolutely nothing wrong with merging. Merging is a great tool. The ability to, to shapeshift, to be a chameleon is a great tool. There's nothing wrong with these in and of themselves, um, but it's when they go towards, uh, you know, protecting the self from this disruption, this internal sense of disruption, that it can go overboard, you know, and then end up becoming something that that put, pulls you away from connection and relationships. Um, so I think what you're what all of you are describing is like that, that movement towards engagement, boundaries, you know, facing the conflict as terrifying as it is, you know, which includes things like there are things I want to do with my life. Yes. Well, it's the idea of merging how, you know, at its best can serve as a, as a springboard for deep connection and for fast connection, you know, and at, and at its worst, you lose yourself in, in the process, you know, and that's why the, the boundaries, matters so much. But I, I mean, I remember at a, at a young age, you know, even my dad asking me, you know, what, what goals do you have? What are your goals? And I'm like, goals? Like what? I just want to be man. Like, I, like, I don't want, like, like, why do I need goals? Like, what's, what's the point of that? <laughs> yeah. I would just say whatever goals I thought they wanted me to have. So <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> you know, I also had a memory. I can remember my dad when I was graduation from high school and, and applied and, seeing these different canvases and stuff. And he got very impatient with me. I needed to make a decision, make a damn yeah. decision. Yeah. Um, and I can remember vividly going and walking onto the campus that I selected. But what I remember in that memory was that it felt right. And as a body person, and I haven't thought about that for a very long time either, but I, I just thought, wow. And I have told other people, I have recommended, you know, to other students, you need to go and walk on the campus. How does it feel? You need to let yourself know how it feels. Good for and, you. And that is, uh, and that's a huge, just yeah. huge. I love that. And it's a positive memory. I went home and I said, this is where yeah. I'm going. It felt right. Yeah. And that was yeah. okay. Absolutely. You're a body type, as you said. That's 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 how you do a lot of your learning and your yes. making. And so, yeah, really good. Let's. Uh, I hate wrapping up because I love this, uh, but uh, let's wrap up with one thing. What's one thing that you would celebrate in your life? An area of development that you feel like 
you know, I have grown in this way. This is one of the things that's really healthy for nines, um, as it is for all nine types, but particularly nines who can kind of think about the things that need to be done, how they need to grow, change, adapt, you know, all the stuff that I'm not quite what I should be. So maybe some something you're celebrating of your own growth that you would like to share. I was in the class with Joel at the early this spring. And the piece that really spoke to me was about being a body type and the three centers. And I've spent, I got a lot more to learn about many other pieces, but the fact that just being able at this juncture to recognize. So since January, I've really been paying attention. I started having insomnia issues when I was 10 years old. And I have to tell you, I am doing better. Mm. And the reason I am doing better is because, you know, insomnia has to do with your body. And so mm-hmm. I've been having good conversations. I've been listening to my body and learning different feelings. And I have paid attention to what might have triggered this today, what anxiety, what what happened today, or what's going on right now. And listening to for an emotion and then going to think about it that's a brilliant order (laughs) the shift of order yeah and the only thing i can say is that i am astounded by the space by the mental space yes and that i don't have another way to describe it if i do it in that order and i gotta tell you I have slept better in the last two weeks. In fact, today, or well, the last two days we've been on the road and I'm thinking, this is really easy. Well, part of the reason this is really easy is because I'm really sleeping and I am celebrating this. (laughs) You should be. This is decades of practice. I mean, decades (laughs) of practice. Oh my gosh. Well, you, oh man, this is, listen folks, this this is a free podcast and you just got... (laughs) You just got some gold because the truth <laughs> of it is what Anna is saying is, is exactly right. It's it, in for all types, by the way, that's actually a really good order because your body is your first line of defense and it picks up on data, it picks up on all kinds of things in the space. Then your emotions take over from there and, and are really interacting with what what's uh, being picked up with by the body. And then the rational space is the last. And if we don't get that order correct, uh, we can end up in these loops and end up stuck, you know, trying to make sense of things and over leveraging the sort of rational space. So it has been amazing. I have never thought until these last few these last few months that my body, we think about our bodies as actors. It's about behavior. It's about. Yeah. But I've never thought about my body as a listener, as part of the listening apparatus i'm a speech yeah. therapist so it's been just huge so i'm I'm excited i'm celebrating because it's gonna impact the lots of things i think absolutely really cool i guess after doing a, a bit of work and a couple people coming into my life who really taught me a lot i had a really serious conversation with my parents that was really scary for me that i told them a lot of things that i was very ashamed of and was just like Laying everything out there, very honest, which I, you know, that's something that I've thought of a lot is about being a nine is I'm not the most honest person. I kind of lie by omission a lot of times. So having that hard conversation and feeling a lot of disconnection for a long time, but ultimately like our relationship is stronger than it's ever been now. 
And I think that's a, a big reason why is I feel like both for them and for me, I feel like an adult now. Like I had a very adult conversation with you and, you know, whatever you think of me after that is up to you. And you know, I feel like we've able been able to have more of like an adult friendship now instead of, you know, the parent-child relationship. So good. Yay. Uh, the area I've really grown in the most, I think, is... um learning to engage in in healthy conflict that the conflict is okay that that it doesn't mean everything is ruined <laughs> and uh being able to to speak up be assertive about my feelings about my thoughts my ideas and knowing that in in safe relationships that it, that's going to be received and that that will be able to be further discussion and disagreement but still being able to arrive at a at a place of of agreement or understanding or you know whatever it's leading to specifically and that's leaps and bounds for me because i was i was a very classic nine avoid conflict at all costs no matter what you know yeah wonderful i think it's crazy how surprised you find yourself when you come out of a conflict and it's resolved you're like, whoa, this was an option the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, I, I've also had a really hard time with sleep. I think to me, sleep was like, it was more like powering off. And so I'd sleep all the time. Like I remember sleeping for 20 hours in a row once because of, you know, you have that anxiety and that depression and, and you've been not resting for, for so long, but lately I've been getting up early and that's not something I ever thought I would be able to do, um, because of that exhaustion. And so I got up at five forty-five this morning and I wrote out what I was going to say for this podcast. And when I, when I think back, I'm, I think, wow, like it seems small. And, you know, my wife is the one, she pops right out of bed exactly six o'clock every morning. Doesn't even set an alarm. But for me, it's like, this seems like the most impossible mountain to climb of, of like facing my day and, and accepting all the pains and the, the hardness and the myself even before the day begins. So. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And these are, you know, there is nothing small uh, because it it's all relative and what is uh, maybe small to another type um, is massive. And if we're doing our work, none of us are arrogant about it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's, that might be big for you. Well, that might be small for me, but mine, <laughs> mine's massive. And for you, that might be like, why is that such a big deal? So, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the fascinating thing about it. Is that I think when you're doing your work, you stop being judgmental. You stop pointing your fingers at other people. You recognize like, as a seven, I look at it. It's like, wow, limitation is the hardest thing for me in the world. It's always been the hardest thing. For other people, it's like, what, what's so big deal about having a routine in your life. That's That's been the biggest thing for me. So anyways, I wanted to say, wrap up this time by saying thank you so much to each of you for having come on this podcast and opened up your life, your story, and walk through this uh, kind of patterns conversation that we've had. Uh, so I'm deeply grateful 
uh, to each of you. And uh, this has been a special time for me and I'm hoping it was for you as well. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.